So thank you. Um, our community is so generous with uh, uh, volunteers and snacks and stuff to pull this off. It's like 11, 1,200 uh, kids, which is amazing. So thank you for all that you do. Our kids team is just fantastic, and you get a bit of their heart uh, for not just VBS, but for what we do every single week. I want to let you know, too, of, of something big coming up uh, towards the end of this month. We, uh, Los Angeles is hosting, uh, every, every four years, there is a special World Special Olympics uh, that is just like uh, the Olympics that we're all familiar with, but these are the World Games for the Special Olympics, and it's like in 77 countries that are descending on Los Angeles later this month. We, as part of uh, their coming, uh, towns around Los Angeles are hosting delegations from different parts of the world. So we are hosting five different delegations uh, in a couple of weeks. They're from Bosnia. I want to make sure I get them all right. Bosnia, Rwanda, uh, let's see, or Ukraine, Lebanon, Tunisia, Rwanda, and Bosnia. And uh, we're going we're gonna to throw a couple of parties on our campus. Uh, we're going to do some other things. But listen, it's a huge, huge deal. Uh, we have a thriving special needs ministry here. And to be able to extend that uh, to even some of our global partners, countries that we've been involved with uh, for years, this is, a, this is a great opportunity for us. So if you're interested um, in, in helping, in cheering, in supporting, in praying, uh, we've got a big old display out on the plaza. Would you please check that out? It's literally a couple of weeks away. Uh, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis 15. Uh, we are, we're kind of meandering around, talking about the church, but talking about one facet of church. If you remember, we've been, we've been noodling a bit on, on art, on, on this, this picture, what this picture means. Right? We've been, we've been talking about how salvation is a process. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And this process is governed by grace. And so it's from grace to grace to grace. And, and that we all, that, that very often what happens, I know many of you are trying to copy this down because it's so brilliant. I want to give you time just to soak in the glory. That, that often what God does is he, God comes and, and he meets us where we are and then he invites us to the next click. He doesn't, he doesn't save and perfect everything all at once. For that, we're very, very grateful. And so what we've been talking about is, is how do we relate to each other in this environment? Because the temptation is for people here to look back at people here and, and, uh, and guilt them or shame them or condemn them or judge them for not being further along. And so on the one hand, we have a tendency to just play the judgment game with each other. But on the other hand, there are those texts that talk about helping each other along the path. So last week, we, we looked at Matthew 18, where Jesus says, listen, if someone sins, go and talk to them. And we talked about how that, that whole thing presupposes that you're in deep relationship with people, that you're on the inside of their life, they're on the inside of your life, that you're the kind of person that would want to hear the blind spots and the, and the, the areas maybe that, that God is calling us next into. And so we want to push that whole thing a step further today. So, so this is going to feel just a little disjointed until the end, which is par for the course, typically around here. What I want to do is I want to, I want to talk, uh, I want to cultivate a theology of love. Because love is a greatly misunderstood. Love has won, is what we're being told. Um, and, and love is one of those really fuzzy words, because I, I use the same English word, love, when I talk about my affection for ice cream, my affection for Ohio State football, 
my affection for my wife, my devotion to Jesus, I just got one word, and that's the word love. And Hollywood has so misdefined this word for us that it's worth doing a theology of love. But anytime we do a theology of anything around here, it means we got lots of slides to go through, all right, which I know you love. So bear with me for 15 minutes. Tim, you love it. You love it! Don't even pretend that you are not happy. We're just going to pound you with verses right now. So, first point I want to make is that the epicenter of the Christian life is not right doctrine. It's love. Right doctrine, if it's right doctrine, will lead you to love. It's not right thinking. It's not doctrinal purity. It's not moral perfection. It's love. That is the epicenter of the Christian life. Growing in Jesus is growing in love. So Jesus himself will say, of course... What are the greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Second command is just like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law. The 613 commandments are just outworkings of these. When Jesus talks about love, he doesn't mean just love of neighbor. He speaks of love of enemy, which is the far less popular version. Can we agree? If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love people who love them. And if you do good to those people who only do good to you, sinners do that. There's no credit in that for you. And if you only lend to people who can pay you back, sinners do that. There's no credit in that for you. But verse 35, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Now here's the big point. You are to love like God loves. How does God love? He loves indiscriminately. He loves without any intention of making it conditional because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So be merciful just as your father is merciful. So love God, love neighbor, love enemy. There you go. That's, that is the summary of what God desires in us. Paul puts it this way. Let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the whole law. 613 commands. And then he repeats some of the Ten Commandments. You shall not commit adultery, not murder, not steal, not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the epicenter of the Christian life. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, whether Jewishness or non-Jewishness, doesn't have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, uh, over and over and over, verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. We could multiply these verses right into dozens that all say the same thing. Love is the center of the Christian life. Growing in Jesus means growing in love. But that doesn't help us any because what does it mean to grow in love? Is love just a warm fuzzy? Is love just a feeling? Is love a dopamine rush? Is love erotic? What, like, we're just so confused about this issue. Now, in the scriptures, love, you find out what love is by looking at what God is like. You don't start with Hollywood. You don't start with how you feel. You start with how God acts in human history, and that tells you what love is like. So, the, the writers of the New Testament will say things, oh, I missed this one. This has nothing to do with the point I'm currently on. This was previous point. <laughs> but how important is love? Well, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels. So if I have some incredible spiritual gift, but don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong or symbol. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mystery and knowledge, but don't have love, and I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I am nothing. How important is this? If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, I mean, think about that. You could have the most immense spiritual gift, but don't have love, you're nothing. You could be the most socially responsible individual and generous individual that's ever walked the earth. If you don't have love, you have nothing. I could have the best, most perfect amount of faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, don't have nothing. I can possess all knowledge and all mysteries, don't have love, don't have anything. So you have, don't have nothing. You know what I mean. You ain't got no nothing don't of love. Took some cold medicine this morning. So in the scriptures, if you want to know what love is like, you look at what God is like. And so the writers of the New Testament will just say things like this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God, what? Is love. So love doesn't start with how you feel. Love doesn't start with romantic inclinations. Love starts with how God acts in human history. And so if you want to know what love looks like, you look at how God works. So this is how God showed love. He sent his one and only son into the world. Right? So the idea is, very simply... First, love is the center of the Christian life. Secondly, the way you understand what love is, is you look at how God has acted towards us. And we'd all go, okay, sure. But when you see how God has acted towards us, then then you realize, oh, our kind of understandings of love are vastly different. Genesis 15. Here, and I don't have time to do this passage justice, but remember there's a guy named Abram. God promises Abram, who his wife is barren, they are old. He says, listen, I'm going to make you into a great nation. He says this in Genesis 12. And so God promises a son to Abram. In Genesis 15, God says, hey, hey, I'm your very great reward, Abram. And Abram says, well, great, give me a kid. And God says, hey, I'm going to give you this huge land. And Abram says, great, I'd love to start with a kid. And so God makes a covenant with Abram. We've looked at this in depth before. Verse 9, Genesis 15. So the Lord said to Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. Now this Look at me for a second. This is called a blood covenant. You didn't have notary publics back in the day. So what you would do if you were making a binding promise, not a contract, but a covenant, one of the ways you would do that symbolically is you would take animals and you would cut them in two lengthwise from head to toe, gross, and you would fold the halves opposite each other so that they would form a path and all the blood would meet in the middle. And what you would do this was like a blood covenant, is that both parties would walk in the blood in between these two animals. And the promise was, if I don't fulfill the terms of the covenant, what we've done to the animals, you can do to me. Okay, so this was like reserved for very serious sorts of agreements, right? 
So typically what would happen is the lesser party would walk through first, and then the greater party would walk through second. But God does this really interesting thing. We've commented on it before. Where, verse 17, bless you. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a what? A covenant with Abram about this land. Now, we don't have time to look at all of the incredible implications. But in essence, the text is telling us that instead of Abraham walking through and then God walking through, the fire pot and the torch represent God's presence among his people. God walked through twice. In other words, it was an unconditional promise by himself, for himself, and through himself that he made to Abraham. And so, so God, we learn early in the story, is a covenant God. This, this promise had nothing to do with Abraham. Nothing to do with Abraham, correct? Because God said, listen, I'm going to carry both ends of this promise. I'm walking through twice. Abraham has nothing to do with this. I'm promising by myself, using my own name as my promise, that this will happen to you. So we learn that God is a covenant God. Now, if the word covenant throws you, substitute this phrase, a rugged commitment. We learn first that what love is, is a rugged commitment. And I love the phrase rugged. You're thinking like, well, that doesn't sound like like it should belong with love. But anyone who's been married over six months will tell you love is rugged. (laughs) Right? Love, first and foremost, is not a feeling. Say it to me right now. Love is not a feeling. Now, none of us believe that because we think we can fall in and out of love. Love is a verb. Love is an action word. Love is a rugged commitment to somebody. That's what love is. Love shows itself. Love is not something you fall into and out of. Love is a rugged commitment. And marriage is the perfect place. If you don't believe this, talk to married people. Because what they will tell you is that every single married couple in this room has irreconcilable differences. Everyone, if you want to legally get divorced by irreconcilable differences, all of us would qualify. Because anytime you put two sinners under the same roof together for multiple years, you get irreconcilable differences. Love is rugged in the sense that it perseveres and endures. It's a choice. So how does God love us? Love is a rugged commitment to us. Love is a covenant. Love is a promise. Love is an ongoing commitment that God makes by himself. Are you with me on this point? Now, I want to I I use some prepositions that I'm stealing from a guy named Scott McKnight, who I think summarizes this beautiful, beautifully, that, that are going to govern the next 10 minutes of text we're going to look at. Love is a rugged commitment to another, to be with another, to be for another, And to love people toward some sort of end. So I want to argue, God loves us with a rugged commitment to us. He loves us. He has promised to be with us. He is for us. And he loves us toward Christ-likeness. And then I want to just simply say, okay, so love towards each other then looks like this. Are you with me so far? Oh, you're thrilled. 
You're thrilled. Listen, I am sicker than a dog, and I'm up here working. Yeah, so the least you can do is look interested. Now, uh, go if you would. Uh, Let's go to uh, Exodus chapter uh, 40. Just very, very quickly. Exodus chapter 40. As part of God's covenant, God promised to be with them. And so we read at the end of Exodus, why I'm in Leviticus, I have no idea. At the end of Exodus, that God has his people create a tabernacle, a tent, a place where he will dwell among them. Verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day. Fire was in the cloud by night in all the travels of the Israelites. God's love demonstrated a withness, that God dwelled among his people. He was with them. And this is kind of the obvious one, right? Because, because God, his withness, his glory filled the temple. Here was the cloud. Here was the pillar of fire. He fills the temple when we get to Jerusalem. Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The book of uh, Matthew ends with, hey, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. And I will be with you until the end of the age. When Jesus, the night before he's betrayed, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, another advocate, to be with you, to be in you. So God's withness has always been a part of his covenant, that God's very presence, and hence the need for sacrificial systems and priests and temples in the old covenant, and in the new covenant, hence the need for the sacrifice of Jesus. Those sacrifices allow the witness to take place, correct? Because God is holy. You with me so far? So love is a rugged commitment to somebody, and love is a rugged commitment to be with them, right? This is how God loves us. Now, let's look at the word preposition for. Not the number, but the preposition for. Go to Leviticus chapter 26. Yep. Are you out there? All right. Relevance really will be in the last three minutes of this. So after every 8.30 service, I have a a crew of people who kind of debrief the sermon. And one of them said, man, it's a great series of points that have utterly no connection to each other until the very end. And I said, yep, that sounds about right. So forgive me. Leviticus 26, verse 9. The covenant God makes is to, to, uh, to them, to be with them, and then to be for them, to, to uh, want them to flourish, to bless them. Verse 9, I will look upon you with favor. I will make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when... Um, when you will have to move it to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, that's his witness, and I will not abhor you. 
I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Now that phrase is repeated all throughout the Old Testament. I will be your God, you will be my people. That phrase is God's foreness. That is, so, so I just want to show you how often it happens just because you need this, Tim. Obey me, I will be your God and you will be my people. Jeremiah 7, Ezekiel 14 They will be my people. I will be their God. Zechariah. They will be my people. I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. And then the book, uh, the book of Revelation, it ends. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. They will be his people. God himself will be their God. This is God's desire to bless. His desire, uh, to, to see people flourish. This is when, when, when Paul reflects on this in Romans, remember what he says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Right? If there's no one going to condemn, then what charge can be brought? So, so God's love is, is a commitment to us, a commitment to be with us, a commitment to be for us. And then here's the most confusing one, all right? It's a commitment to loving us toward a certain end. God's love isn't just tolerance. Tolerance is way too weak. Love is transformative. The love of Christ has an aim. And that aim, let's go to, let's go to, um, let's go to Romans 8. I feel really good about Romans 8 right now. Let's go to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. God's love is a commitment, a rugged commitment to us. He's a covenant God. It's to be with us. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I'll never forsake you. It's to be for us. God is for us. Who could be against us? But the goal of God's love is Christ-likeness, right? He's aiming us. His love transforms us. His kindness leads us to repentance. So there's a goal, a telos, if you will, to this. Verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined, to be what? Ooh, come on. Conform to the image of his son. Right? Or, or go, uh, if you would, to 2 Corinthians really quickly. Tim? Oh, you're waiting for the screen? Okay. All right. Jesus only gives you half credit for that. Full credit for people to turn. So Corinthians 3.18. How good does my voice sound right now? It sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rugged, exactly. Yes, it sounds rugged. Thank you. <laughs> and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into what? His image. Now, think about this. Okay, how does God love? Well, he loves through covenant. Well, what are the covenant promises that God makes? Well, one of them is that it's a, it's a covenant to you, right? Jesus will say, listen, if you take this bread and eat this cup, this cup is the blood 
of the new covenant that I'm making with you. Love is a rugged commitment to be with. And so God makes all these provisions to be with his people, to dwell among his people. And now it's so uh, unbelievable that God actually dwells in us, not just among us, but in us as we are being built together to be a temple. I mean, it's remarkable imagery. And that God is for us. He's not against us. He's for our flourishing. He desires to bless. He is a good and loving father. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And that love is directional. It's toward something. It's toward Christ-likeness. Are you with me on this point? Now, we're called to love each other with that same sort of love. Agreed? So think about how we love. So two with for and toward. Here comes a big point. In our relationships with each other, remember we're talking about how it is that we help each other along the way, along the journey. Very often what we want to do and call loving is just this part. Hey, you should be more like this. It's just the towards part. You should really give that up and be more like this. And we do that without the prior commitment to be ruggedly committed to somebody, to be with somebody, and to be for somebody. And whenever you're trying to love somebody towards something, without this over here, it just feels like manipulation and coercion. So very often what the Christian community does is say, hey, the most loving thing we could do is just tell the truth. And so we just toward people all the time. But that's not how Jesus loved. See, what Jesus does, and it blows my mind, Jesus was ruthless in calling every single person to repentance. But how did he do it? The Pharisees wanted everyone to repent too, but they did it by separating and lobbing bits of truth at those that were unclean. Jesus just rolls up his sleeves and he goes to dinner with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners of his day. So do you see the difference? One calls people to repentance by separation. One calls people to repentance by association. When Jesus had a meal with somebody, the reason that was so staggering is because meals in those days symbolized kinship and connection and fellowship and association and acceptance, if you will. And so what happens in the American church is we've lost our ability to to help people towards something because of our refusal to be utterly committed to them regardless if they change and to be with them regardless if they change and to be for them regardless what they change. Only when they feel all of that is our towardness welcome. And this is how we love our kids, right? I mean, the worst kinds of parents are the parents that just sit back, love criticisms at their kids. Our kids need to be loved towards something. And that love in, the, in a healthy relationship comes out of, there's nothing you can do, I tell my children, that will ever stop me from loving you. There's nothing you can do that will make me abandon you. I will always be with you. I will always be for you. You can do anything, the worst thing you can imagine. I will be with you. Period. And then, in that context, they will hear my torting. Right? Because I have torting. I want them to grow into certain kinds of people. God has torting for us too. But I think we've just lost 
what it means to love. On the one hand, there are so many of us who just equate love with tolerance. Tolerance is weak. Tolerance, tolerance is for sissies. Really, I was trying to edit. Nowhere are we called to tolerate. Nowhere. It seems to me that all people other than you are either neighbor or enemy. And the universe and the command for both is to love. That's it. So there's a sense in which if love is the center of the Christian life, we can't just be content because Jesus didn't do this. He didn't do this. I mean, you just can't imagine having a prostitute interrupt a gathering at a Pharisee's house to wash his feet. There is nothing in your imagination that can possibly come close to the staggering nature of that offense. And yet he welcomes it and forgives her. See, I dream that people like Caitlyn Jenner, in working out their identities, would find the church a place to do it. I dream... When our kids and grandkids are wrestling with orientation and inclination and preference, whatever else, sexually, that the church would be the place they'd feel welcome. Right? But instead, are we known? No, no. Are we known for this? We are not. I'm not. And so I just grieve. I grieve all of these cultural conversations that are happening on social media, abstracted from relationship, abstracted from withness and foreness and twoness. And, and, and so, yes, are we for and against things? Of course, we're for and against stuff. But if we're going to love people and not just talk about abstract issues, then what we've got to get really good at is what Jesus did to somehow convey to people. His two-ness, his withness, and his foreness. And that led people to repentance. It was his kindness that led people to repentance. And so on the one hand, there are some among us who have to realize love doesn't mean tolerance. That, hey, anything goes. I can choose whatever I want to choose. Right? No one raises parents. Or no one raises kids that way. Right? And and when you're married, love is transformative. I mean, I'm more, I'm neater because I'm married to my wife. Not by much. I am kinder, I'm more compassionate. You cannot be in a love relationship and not be shaped by that relationship. Love has a goal and that's Jesus-likeness. And so yes, we're we're to love each other into Jesus' likeness. And so there does come a place when we walk alongside each other and call each other the Jesus' likeness. But I just want to suggest that before you get there and for it to be received, there is a two-ness and a withness and a foreness that God invites us into. And that's the way we love because it's the way he has loved us, while we were sinners, he died for us. It just blows my mind. He didn't wait till I got it figured out. He didn't wait till I got cleaned up. He did it before. 
I don't know what this means. Don't know if you agree, disagree, if you're fired up, if you're reading into this. I have no idea. I'm sick, and so any emails I get, I'm going to say I'm sick. <laughs> so I don't... I'm sick. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm sick. Discuss amongst yourselves. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but it does strike me, as we talk about what it means to be Jesus' people, helping each other along the way. Please hear me, there are times when we confront, there are times we call out sin. There are times, because we are to be holy as God is holy and love has a direction, yes, absolutely. But it's most transformative in a context of covenant. And I think that's what people don't feel. People don't feel that we'll be with them and that we'll be for them and that we're committed to them regardless of whether or not they receive our towardness or not. And so to love like Jesus is pretty high calling. And so I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. I'm sick. (laughs) And uh, I just want to invite you to step into this. Have you been towarding somebody And maybe they've not felt you being with them and committed to them. Maybe there's somebody that's really, really hard for you to love and you're waiting to feel love towards them. And perhaps God would just simply say to choose to love as an action. Or perhaps you're here and and, uh, you just deeply don't believe that God loves you like this. And so maybe for you just to cry out that God would speak. Why is it that sinners were so attracted to Jesus? What's happened that that has changed? So Father, I don't know how all this works. I don't know how it all plays out. I just know what it confronts in me. And so my prayer very simply is that you would teach me to love like you. To be full of grace, to be full of truth. To love well to have kindness lead to repentance. So we need you, Father God. More than anything else, we need you. We want to be like you. So help us, we pray. Amen.